This is the Rabbi Patrick Podcast, Episode 8, Vinyl Records and Spirituality. the most thrilling morning this morning and I need to morning this morning <laughs> and I need to tell you about it. So I woke up and I was feeling lousy. I mean, just feeling terrible. Uh, my wife was getting ready for work. I was hoping to avoid work as much as possible. I had a really late night working last night. I was just feeling terrible. I even told uh, a buddy of mine who I exercise with twice a week that, uh, you know, I was just calling it off. I felt sick and I just couldn't do it. So I have my cup of coffee. I'm starting to feel a little bit better. Took a hot shower. Still feeling lousy, uh, but feeling a little bit better. And then I got on my computer. And the computer is something I have a really bad relationship with. I spend too much time on it. Uh, it tells me things I don't want to know um, sometimes, uh, but is also a source of blessing on occasions. And by the way, uh, you know I don't edit the Rabbi Patrick podcast, so I apologize. There's something going on outside. Uh, hopefully, it's it's. I'm hearing fire engines and stuff. Hopefully, it's okay. Uh, everyone is, is all right. No one's hurt or anything. And my cat won't stop stalking around and begging for more food. So maybe Jasmine will make a special guest appearance. Uh, in any case, so I get on my computer, the source of blessing and curses all at the same time, and I look at my web stats. So I get to see what the stats are about the podcast, uh, what's going on, what people are into, not into. And I realized that I had over a thousand downloads of the podcast today. 1,002. And it is all because of you, and I am so overwhelmed and grateful for your support. As I always say, this is a hobby. It's not something I get paid to do. It's something I take off from work to do, and it brings me an incredible amount of joy. And the fact that you know you are into this, the fact that you are listening to this and you like it and you want to hear whatever crazy stuff is coming out of my mouth and you want to support it, uh, really means a lot to me. I really, really appreciate that. So sort of in honor of the 1,000th, over 1,000th, the 1,000th and second download of the Rabbi Patrick podcast, I wanted to take a moment to thank all of the people who have uh, donated and, and been involved and, and really been supportive. So uh, Eero, who donated 25 bucks. Thank you, Eero. I appreciate it a lot. Uh, Sam Fistel, Shabbat Sam, who donated 18 bucks. Thank you so much. Yisrael Frankel, who donated 25 bucks. Thank you so much. Uh, my friend Emily, who down, uh, donated a bunch of cool uh, stuff that I, we're using uh, for sort of running the podcast, techie type stuff. Uh, two donations from Sarah, who I am I'm just is so incredibly overwhelmed by your support. It means a lot to me. Um, and then a donation from my buddy Jeff Newman who uh, is really cool. We met on List app. It has been incredibly supportive, not only of this podcast, but of the stuff I've been doing on List app. Uh, also, we have a new donor today. He is Mark Bosley. And Mark Bosley is the owner of Al Bum's Record Store in historic Ackworth, Georgia. I have to say, the only record store where I really feel very welcome. Uh, a lot of record stores I go into, it's sort of like uh, they're ran by mole people, basically. Uh, you go in there and it's every, every stereotype of a record store is true. Every single one. There are very few record stores you go into where people say hi to you. 
Uh, usually it's just kind of people hiding in the back, scurrying around, um, uh, or not paying attention to anything that's going on. Uh, I always thought it was good that record stores sold vinyl um, because it is much easier, uh, it is much harder, I should say, to shoplift vinyl than, say, CDs or cassettes. Um, and so, uh, because I don't know that necessarily everyone who works at a record store uh, sort of is paying attention to, you know, what people are actually doing. So, um, in any case, uh, but this is different with uh, Mark and albums. Uh, he's super cool. Um, you know, his shop is really cool. He's got lots of great stuff. I've bought a few things from him. Um, and so, uh, even though technically I don't take donations from organizations, uh, we don't have corporate sponsors or anything like that, uh, even though Mark was the one who donated, I, really, it's albums who donated. So, I uh, want to talk a little bit about things that are coming up. So, I it's late in the week. I apologize. I should have done this. But if you are around this weekend, so February 26th, I want to say, Friday, February 26th. You can come uh, see me hanging out at Crema Coffee Shop at 7 o'clock. That's in Dunwoody. Uh, there is a really great event. It's a Shabbat acoustic cafe. Uh, my buddy Brian Glussman, Rabbi Glussman, is sort of heading that. There's a lot of great organizations that are involved. Darshan Yeshiva is a sponsor. Uh, we have uh, all kinds of other groups like uh, Hamza, which is a group that helps with uh, Jews, non-Jews alike, with um, addiction. Uh, we have um, Interfaith Family Atlanta, so uh, Rabbi Malka Packer, who's super, super cool, still sort of new-ish to the community, I would say, does a lot of interfaith work. Uh, there, anyway, there's a lot of organizations that are sponsoring that, uh, so I highly recommend you come to that. So that's this Friday, that's going to be the 26th of February, 7 p.m. at Crema in Dunwoody, Georgia. And then the next day, if you want to see me lead Torah study, that could be fun. So that's February 27th, Saturday at 10 a.m. at Ahavath Achim Synagogue, otherwise known as AA uh, Synagogue in Buckhead, Georgia. So uh, that's on Peachtree Battle. It's conservative synagogue. Uh, however, the word conservative is something that I, I say loosely because unfortunately the conservative movement has the worst name ever. That's a whole other conversation. Um, but uh, you can show up at 9 a.m., stay for part of the service, the Shahrit service, the morning service, and then watch me uh, do a text study. Uh, it's going to be pretty cool. The Parsha deals with, the Torah portion deals with idolatry and uh, all kinds of crazy stuff. So golden calves and what have you. So please come for that. Uh, 9 a.m. if you want to see the service, 10 a.m. if you just want to be there for me. That's at Ahavat Achim Synagogue, Saturday, February 27th. 10 a.m. There's a lunch that follows that. Afterwards, love to have you there. Other stuff coming up, I mentioned Mark uh, and albums, so I'm going to give you some time on this one. April 16th at noon, Record Store Day and Wounded Warrior Benefit. My band Airwolves does this every year. Our former guitarist, sort of the, uh, how many band members do we have now? One two, three, four. So I guess uh, the, the fifth quote-unquote missing member, uh, Ross Henderson, uh, he was our guitarist, keyboardist, uh, sort of retired. 
and uh, now does these benefits and all kinds of other cool stuff. He is putting the show on. He's the promoter. Uh, I checked out the lineup, and it's pretty good. Now, with most of these music festivals, lineups tend to change, but uh, I've got the list so far right in front of me. So uh, this is uh, Doors Open at 8 a.m. Music starts at noon. This is at Albums Record Shop, 4606 Main Street in historic Ackworth, Georgia. So uh, we have Phono Nuts. They'll be on hand uh, for repairs and sales and lots of great equipment. Spinning wheel giveaways, trivia contests and prizes, uh, raffle prizes. Uh, live music is going to start at noon uh, with The Wake Up Kids. At 1 o'clock, Crypt24. So Crypt24, the drummer for Airwolves, that's his band. They're a two-piece sort of uh, dark rock, psychobilly, horror type thing. Uh, followed by that is Bold Ashes. Bold Ashes are amazing. Harriet and Sean, uh, they have this really, really cool two-piece. Uh, it's very sort of noise, math rock, ethereal. She plays bass. I love the way Harriet plays bass because she plays as if like no one is around. Uh, it's all sort of instrumental. There's lots of weird sound effects and keyboard sounds. And Sean is just like the craziest drummer. You just, you hate yourself inside when you watch this man play uh, because uh, you're, you will never be as good as him. He, he is better than all other drummers uh, in the Atlanta music scene right now, as far as I'm concerned. And I apologize to Brian Paul Baker, the drummer for Airwolves. Um, you just know Sean kills us all. So anyway, Bold Ashes are 2 o'clock. Airwolves, that's us, my band, 3 o'clock. Uh, the show rounds out with South City Riot, and then headlining Matteo Alexander and the Wayward Souls. Matteo, the first time I met him, I met him at Record Store Day. And I see this guy uh, sort of coming up, and he kind of looks like a healthier uh, version of, um, of uh, the singer from U.S. Bombs and about like 20 years younger. And he sort of comes up, he's drinking uh, from a Nalgene, kind of hanging out. It's so hot outside. Everybody's slamming water, uh, trying to stay hydrated. And here comes this guy. He's got, you know, tattoos on the tops of his hand. And he's got, um, I think, something like the Virgin Mary tattooed and all these other things. And here I am, and I've got, you know, my Jewy tattoos. And uh, I'm just like burning hot and I'm wearing all black because I'm an idiot <laughs> and, I'm, and we're singing we're doing the show in the parking lot of albums and you know part of my gig is I kind of roll around and do some Iggy Pop type stuff and every time I roll around on the concrete I burn myself <laughs> and like the mic cord kept getting wrapped around me and it was just crazy and I keep seeing Matteo in the corner looking at me and just kind of watching and hanging out, maybe having a cigarette or something. And uh, and the set is over, and I'm sweating like crazy. And I sit down, and Matteo says, uh, you know, something like, I saw your tattoo, Flaming Jew. <laughs> And he was he was laughing at like on my burning bush tattoos like yeah flaming Jew or something like that I I can't remember exactly but uh, Matteo is awesome Wayward Souls are great uh, Americana uh, kind of a little bit of rockabilly um, sort of but more like traditional Southern uh, 
country, western, that kind of vibe. Lots of players, laptop steel, uh, the whole uh, the whole nine yards. So I recommend them. So enough nonsense. Uh, go to Albums Record Shop for that gig, uh, and come see me, Dutora, as well. So let's talk about on the subject of record stores, vinyl records, and spirituality. So at one point, if you wanted to listen to music, you had to buy vinyl. That was all that was available. So you would go to a record store, and you would leaf through albums, and they're all stacked up, so you have to go by alphabetical order, and you have to dig and dig and dig. And if you don't know what you're looking for, you have to talk to the person behind the counter, and you have to say what you like, and he or she... Uh, will say, oh, try out this band or into this kind of music, whatever, and they'll help you select things. In the old days at the record store, and I'm talking about the swing band era, you would take a record, and with permission of the record shopkeeper, you'd go into a little sound booth, and you'd put the record on, and you'd listen to the record through some uh, headphones, and you would decide if you like it. You'd take the record uh, off the turntable, put it back in the sleeve, go up, pay, that's your record. If you stumble and fall, <laughs> if you scratch the record, whatever, it's over. You have to go buy another one. There's no takesy-backsies. It is what it is. You're stuck with it. You're stuck with this broken record. So you go back and buy another one. And hopefully, you know, you take care of it. Every time you buy a record, it's expensive you know, relative to what you're getting. You can buy little 45s that have maybe two to four songs on them if the songs are short, uh, but otherwise you're buying a full album. And if you want to just hear one song, you have to look at the record and you have to find where the groove is for that song. And you have to take the needle and you have to put it right on the right spot. And if you don't get it right, you're going to hear uh, either you know the first third of the song, you're not at the beginning, or you're going to hear the last you know third of the song before it. So you have to be able to nail it perfectly. And the only guide you have to go by is that on the uh, stamp on the record, you have all of the tracks numbered. And so you have to count, you know, okay, it's three, song number three, and then you have to look at the grooves and find the third groove and try to line it up. And moving records, if you're a big music fan, is a pain because you have these crates uh, and they're made of wood and they're basically milk crates. And you, and you have to take these milk crates of wood and, and sometimes they're made of plastic and you have to take these and you have to move them to wherever and if they stay out in the heat for too long if they're in uh, your car or they're in storage they can get warped and if they get warped it warps the sound and then you have to buy all new records again they have to go in the trash so technology changes eventually we get to magnetic tape which is where we get cassettes so eventually we get to cassettes after a few trial and errors uh, with different other kinds of uh, uh, other kinds of media. We get to cassettes, and cassettes are smaller, but they pose their own problems. You know what generation you are if you can look at a cassette and a pencil and know what those two things do together, because uh, that's how you would wind up a cassette. Now, you can record a cassette, so this is a little bit different. Recording vinyl was complicated and difficult and very expensive. But now you have these cassettes, so you can, you can take music from other cassettes and put it on a cassette, and you have this thing called the mixtape. 
So now you have the mixtape and people can share music. If you wanted to share a record, it was difficult. You'd have to loan a buddy a whole record. You'd lose all that music, but now you can trade cassettes and you can discover bands that you like. And a whole culture develops around people sharing these tapes. And then music goes digital and you have CDs. CDs are just very small records, basically. They have digital print of the different tracks. So you can kind of share these. Eventually, we had CD burners. You could share uh, mixed CDs, which are just like mixed tapes. But you can take these CDs and you can put them in a computer. And you can rip the CD. And you can take each individual track and you can make a playlist. So now, not only are you able to go from taking a whole album to taking a, a CD that has a mix, but you can put it on a computer and make a mix of a mix. Eventually, using these computers, you could take the tracks, you could load them into audio software, and you could make remixes. So you go from having a static piece of media, vinyl, with 12 songs on it, to a magnetic tape where you could make your own tapes off of other tapes and share them, to a CD where you can take the individual tracks and remove them from media, remove them from vinyl, remove them from CD, remove them from uh, magnetic tape. And you can do stuff with them, you can manipulate them on a computer. So what happened throughout this process? As music media becomes democratized, is that, CD, or is that music sales go down? Well, it makes sense. You're able to trade music including online, the early days of Napster, SoulSeek, other websites where you could work with people to find, uh, find the music you want, download it, you don't have to buy anything anymore. Record companies go insane. They don't know what to do. Artists are losing money. Metallica is suing everybody, left, right, and upside down, to try to deal with this problem. But it's too late. Punk rock, if you will, had won fighting the man, fighting the system, fighting the record labels. The labels are in deep trouble. So what happens? No one buys CDs anymore. Cassettes are an anachronism at this point. No one does cassettes. CD sales, well, you don't need to go to a record store to buy a CD, right? You can just get the music digitally, either from a friend who burns a, a CD for you or can download it off the internet. So you don't have to go to a record store. You don't have to deal with the record label. You don't even have to deal with an artist if you don't want to. So things start to collapse in on themselves. The music industry made money selling music. If you can't sell music to people, there is no record industry. But then something really funny happens. People begin to feel like music is losing its quality. So people start looking back at vinyl records. All of a sudden, you start noticing that these record stores that were going out of business because they couldn't sell CDs are now selling vinyl. And they're not selling vinyl to 40, 50-something-year-old nostalgic people. They're selling it to 18-year-olds, 21-year-olds, the people who dug the record player out of the closet and got some of the vinyl that their you know, aunts, uncles, older brothers and sisters, parents used to listen to, and they're listening to this vinyl, and they like the scratchiness and the pops and the sounds that come along with the vinyl against the needle. 
and they get interested in audio, you know, buying speakers that are good. What does that take? You know, why is it that um, an old blues record sounds a particular kind of way on a turntable that it doesn't sound the same if it's digital, if it's being played through iTunes? So it's this going back to this older sound, and that's why you suddenly have garage rock. It's why you have people playing blues and folk music. Punk rock was no longer interesting. Punk rock was digital, mainstream, poppy, whatever. Now all of a sudden people want this rough sound. There's this sense that it's authentic, beautiful. Look at what happened to Target. <laughs> Target all of a sudden is selling t-shirts with like Tommy on it, uh, Rolling Stones, uh, faux, uh, faux vine, uh, vintage, you know, I can say vintage, uh, vintage t-shirts, right? Now I, I see run DMC t-shirts, right? I mean, that's cassettes, but, you know, suddenly the millennial generation is interested in their parents' music, right? You and their older brothers and sisters, you see these Nirvana t-shirts, Right, being sold at the mall for 20 bucks. It's amazing, this idea of people going back in time. When you have every opportunity available to share and remix and to make music your own, all people want to do is to go back to something old, something that feels unique, something that's difficult, complicated, esoteric, something that if you screw it up, you have to start all over again. I was part of this in a certain way because the music I was into in my early 20s was blues, garage rock, proto-punk. It was things that, you know, people would record by taking one mic, putting it in the center of a room, and you just start playing. And if you get it wrong, if you mess up, you gotta start all over again. Right? It's this very difficult, for as simple as the music was, it's so difficult and time-consuming. It was amazing stuff. I had the pleasure of being in Detroit and meeting a guy named Jim Diamond who was a producer uh, for Jack White's uh, early music. And I saw the setup of, the, of this uh, music production studio where like it looks like the roof is almost caving in and there's these very old magnetic reel-to-reel -reel tape recorders. And uh, the way it works is that you pay for the producer to sit there and, and run the knobs, uh, and then you have to buy the, the magnetic tape. That tape costs something. It's tangible. It's physical. You could take them right off of the machine and go down the street and play them. Uh, it's very different than something digital that has to be crafted together and exported. So those of us who are on the older side of this trend and then the sort of 16, 17-year-olds I see now who are really into this sense of vintage are trying to get back to something ancient, something old, something that seems true. And it's true because it was more difficult to do and more was at stake. It's amazing to me how this feels a lot like spirituality. This sense that we have every option available to us, but all we want to do is to make things more difficult. Somehow the things that are older, that are more difficult, that had more at stake, feel more authentic. It is as if the people in the past have an ancient knowledge 
that needs to be given to us that we are missing out on. It is as if they understood what the good life is. And we today need to be educated on that because although we have every resource available to us, it's simply not enough. You go into a record store now and it's a different experience than if you were buying you know, swing and big band music in the 30s. But you can go in and you can talk to some of the old timers and you could say, you know, I'm really into Robert Johnson. Help me find a good Robert Johnson record. And they can tell you everything about that record and, and how it was made and, and some of the mythology around Robert Johnson and meeting the devil and all of these other things. So you get, you get story, you get uh, technology, right? Like how this thing physically works, how to use this thing how to understand it and how to interpret it the same way that you might have understood um, codex books or a scroll, perhaps. You know, perhaps a priest or a prophet would show you something and teach you how it works so that you can gain from it. Who's to say that that's not what people in record stores are doing now? They're giving you a media. They're helping you to understand it, to decode it to look at it from lots of different directions and to have it be meaningful and fulfilling to you, to give you a great spiritual experience. Vinyl is overtaking other forms and has overtaken other forms of music media uh, sales because people want to feel something. They want the dirt, they want the grime, they want the pops and the squeals and the hisses because those things have a sense of authenticity they're true it's fascinating to me the way in which this urge for truth this urge for ancient knowledge this urge for something real manifests itself in every generation it is very easy to say that there is a kind of human link an emotional link between someone like Ezra in the Bible showing the Torah and someone like my buddy Mark who wants to help you pick out a cool record. So, the next time you're buying an album, ideally an Airwolves album, just my own personal take, please know that you are a part of something that is far greater than buying music. You are part of something that is greater than yourself. And that's what it means to have vinyl records and to have spirituality. Thanks a lot.